This is the Journal of American History podcast for March 2013. We'd like to welcome to the JH podcast today, Sarah Miller Davenport, who is a doctoral student in the Department of History at the University of Chicago, and whose article, Their Blood Shall Not Be Shed in Vain, American Evangelical Missionaries and the Search for God and Country in Post-World War II Asia, will appear in the March 2013 issue of the Journal of American History. Sarah, welcome, and thanks for taking the time to do this podcast. Thank you so much. I'm delighted to be here. So let's begin. Uh, tell listeners some about the evangelical scene in immediate post-war Asia and how missionaries were, in your words, a crucial mediating force for evangelicals struggling to make sense of the post-war world. So I would say the, the evangelical scene in the late 1940s in post-war Asia uh, was, was quite small, but but enthusiastic. The Far Eastern Gospel Crusade, which is the organization that I look at in this article, was was founded by servicemen as the GI Gospel Hour, uh, and it eventually merged with um, the Far Eastern Bible Institute and Seminary, and spread from the Philippines to Japan. And when I say that they were a crucial mediating force for evangelicals struggling to make sense of the post-war world, you know, I, missionaries are on the front lines of American post-war expansionism, and they're the ones sending messages, you know, via tracts, materials, field letters uh, to evangelicals at home. And so this is, to me, you know, quite significant in terms of trying to understand the uh, evangelical surge after World War II in the U.S. Yeah, thank you. So as part of that surge, I was fascinated when you were talking about the, the spectrum of narratives, the different stories that evangelicals uh, were telling about America's role in the world. So this uh, incredibly turbulent time, World War II has come to an end, the nuclear age begins, the communist threat is perceived everywhere. What were the ways that these folks that you studied how were they trying to make sense of America's role in the world and, and their role in, in post-war America? One of the things that I found surprising about a lot of this literature was its optimism, in fact. Um, I mean, certainly you see a kind of pre-millennial take on, you know, that, that if, if we don't fix things now, the, the world is doomed, you know, we need to save souls, et cetera. But really, in this moment evangelicals see great uh, global opportunity that facilitated by American expansion. And um, the, the FEGC, the Far Eastern Gospel Crusade, is basically living amongst the American military occupation. Uh, and so they're really on the front lines of that moment of American global ascendancy. And so they see it in, very, in many ways in very positive terms. So a much a much more uh, sort of post millennial sensibility about America's role in the world than um, than pre millennial. I mean, I wouldn't. You know, I think I, I I'm guessing a lot of my actors would still identify themselves as pre millennialists. Um, but you know, they're they're use. I think they're they're mixing 
they're mixing a kind of post-millennial sentiment into that. It's not, it's not the kind of stark line that, that existed before between pre, pre-millennial and post-millennial thought. Okay. Um, and how would you characterize the new global consciousness among evangelicals at this time? I mean, you know, again, I think, you know, they see, they see new opportunities for mission in the global arena. And, you know, this is, this is coming on the heels, you know, after uh, the interwar period was really a period of separatism and retreat for most evangelicals in the U.S. And this new global consciousness, the new opportunities for even for evangelism, to me, uh, facilitate a new engagement with domestic American culture. And so this and one that I believe hinges in many ways on this idea of the U.S. as newly powerful and newly influential and opening new fields for um, evangelism. Sarah, Douglas MacArthur's uh, role was certainly huge in uh, the, the story of post-war reconstruction in in Japan and in the religious significance of MacArthur as well. Uh, Talk about his significance, and uh, that will lead you, I'm sure, to to other issues. Mm -hmm. Uh, Yeah, and MacArthur was was a hero uh, to evangelical missionaries at this time. Uh, And and what's interesting is it's despite his ecumenicism. So um, the FEGC... And other missionary, other evangelical missionaries in Asia at this time see themselves very much in competition with uh, liberal Protestants and Catholics. Uh, and MacArthur is appealing to all of them to to convert the Japanese. He's giving them special privileges, special access. Uh, you know, he's he's reaching out to them. He's telling them your missionary enterprise is on far too small a scale. You want to multiply your effort by a hundredfold. You know, he's, he's really reaching out to missionaries, um, to, to all of them. And despite this, uh, the FEGC really, really holds him up in their literature, uh, in, as, as, you know, himself in many ways, a missionary as a fellow, as a fellow missionary. Um, and so he's, he's a huge figure, for them, and you know, and and obviously, you know, to him, he equates American Christianity with democracy, and so that's that's part of his motivation in this moment. And I was struck uh, in in that section of your piece that, in contrast to the really murderous images that the Japanese and Americans had of each other during the war, uh, the kinds of striking things that John Dower writes about in War Without Mercy, for example, uh, that evangelical perceptions of the Japanese in the post-war period were, were radically different. Uh, and I wondered if you could you talk about that and your sense of how this happened in such a short time. Well, first of all, I'm, I'm, I'm indebted to Naoko Shibusawa, who wrote a great book, America's Geisha Ally, who talks about the kind of defanging in some ways of, of the Japanese enemy very quickly after World War II. Um, and she, she provides a really great uh, gender analysis of this, the, the ways in which it's, it's a no less you know, essentialist uh, vision of the Japanese, but one in which they're portrayed as, as feminine and childlike and harmless. Um, and this, you know, I mean, the, the FEGC is certainly is, is doing many of the same things. You know, there's a real emphasis on the, the kind of small stature 
of of the Japanese or you know there's there's one story um about a young Japanese boy on a trolley evangelizing to an American GI you know and so again this view of the Japanese as as harmless and as, as supplicants waiting for for these missionaries to come and you know, kind of pull them out of their their victimhood, that they're victims in many ways to Shintoism, that this is what led to Japanese militarism, but not necessarily themselves aggressors. And so it really is quite a transformation. Um, you know, at the same time, there are, there are many, there are missionaries who in their field letters, you know, speak of this idea of, you know, the, the kind of unpenetrable Japanese mind, you know, that those who are not, you know, because in fact, the FEGC is really not all that successful in converting, in converting the Japanese to evangelical Christianity. And so they're frustrated when they find, you know, that the Japanese really are committed to Shintoism and other traditional religions. Thanks. It's fascinating. And let me uh, ask you this. Uh, you write in the piece, the evangelical engagement with international issues in the post-war era was not just about concern over the spread of godless communism, nor did the international developments of the latter half of the 20th century, including American global ascendancy, begin and end with Cold War politics. And so can you talk a little about uh, this broader sense of evangelical engagement? Yeah, I mean, I think, you know, from the period I'm studying, which is really, you know, around 1946 to 1948, you know, the Cold War, you know, it isn't, it isn't, it isn't what it becomes in the 1950s. You know, you don't have, the Truman Doctrine doesn't, isn't in place until 1947. And even then, there is a sense of, of contingency of this moment. Um, you know, the U.S. and the Soviet Union don't go immediately from the end of World War II into the Cold War. And so, and the FEGC is is on the ground, you know, at the on the front lines of American expansionism at this point. Uh, and you know, yes, they're concerned about communism. But I think much of the literature, more recent literature on uh, evangelicals in the post World War II period, really does focus on their engagement uh, with anti communism and 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 the conservative movement vis a vis their anti communism. But I think what, what's interesting about this period is that it's really not—it's not all about communism for them. You know, again, it, it's this idea of American global expansionism that is happening outside of the confines of the Cold War at this moment, uh, and that that provides that provides new opportunity for mission for American evangelicals. And so, you know, again, I think that this goes to this kind of dichotomy that you see between a kind of pessimism and optimism among evangelicals, that, that it's not just about fighting foes, but about, you know, gaining adherence. Sarah, can you talk some about how missionaries in this Asian world uh, thought about, wrote about, uh, spoke about the religious worlds in Asia that they found? Sure. Well, in the case of in the case of the Philippines, what's interesting um, is that the real the real foe, I would say, more than communists are are Catholics. And uh, you know, FEGC literature 
portrayed Catholics in the Philippines as using many of the kind of primitivist discourses that we associate with, you know, non-Western, portrayals of non-Western religion. The Catholics in the Philippines, similar to adherents of Shintoism in Japan, were in many ways had fallen victim to a false religion. And there's a passage that I talk about in the article of a, a Catholic funeral, you know, and there, there are flaming candles and everything's a fire. And, you know, that this is, you know, basically that this, this Catholic ceremony is, is kind of one step on the road to hell for American evangelical missionaries. Fascinating. And when, when some of these folks came back home, uh, if they did, to raise money, uh, to inform people of what they were what they were doing. Did you have a chance to read uh, documents of their of their s- speeches? Um, and what kinds of things they were talking about? What exhortations they made in the world of American domestic evangelicalism uh, that would spark support for them? Um, you know, I mean, many of the I I don't necessarily I didn't necessarily see documents of them. You know, giving speeches at home, but there there's a lot of field reports which were sent back to the home organization. And most of those reports do do emphasize the need for, you know, increased support, increased money, and to send more missionaries over. Sarah, how did tensions between, and these are your words, nationalism and a deeply ingrained belief in the universal message of Christ manifest themselves in the, the work of these folks? What I found really fascinating in looking at these documents is that there's a real tension for these evangelical missionaries between their sense of their identification with uh, the United States and their identification as Christians. They're surrounded by servicemen, you know, many of whom are are evangelical, but many of whom are not. Um, And they see, you know, they see sin everywhere. You know, much of it, you know, there's one field report that says much of the sin is perpetuated by the Americans themselves, you know, whether it's drinking, dancing, lipstick wearing, uh, whatever it is. And so uh, this for the evangelicals is is as much of a problem as the lack of Christianity in Japan or the Philippines. You know, again, there's this real, there's this real tension between do we want to, you know, how much do we identify as Americans under these circumstances? You know, how much do we want to work with the military when we see all this sin that it's that it's eliciting. But I, you know, you do see over the course of this period an increasing identification among um, evangelical missionaries with the United States. You know, and I and I think and you see this on the ground in the US as well, you know, that this this came after a long period of separatism for American evangelicals. They viewed American mainstream society as irredeemably corrupt. And now, you know, after the war, there's really there's a sense of new kind of hope and purpose and engagement with the same mainstream society that they had once rejected. And this is happening on the ground as well in Japan and the Philippines. So, you know, they're reaching out to the Japanese and the and Filipinos, but they're also reaching out to the Americans, to the in particular the soldiers posted there. At, at the same time, you know, I think they really do they would identify themselves as Christians first, but over the course of the period I'm looking at, they're also there. It's in this kind of cultural encounter between evangelical missionaries and, you know, the Asian other, whether in Japan or the Philippines, that I think 
you know, in many ways, their sense of nationalism is rechristened. Interesting. Thank you. There's a real sense in your piece of this, the energies of, of all of these folks in the post-war period. How long does, does that sense of optimism and energy and the sense of, of transformation possible, how long does that hold? Uh, is there is there a point where you can really see the the diminution, uh, a disappointment, a disillusion set in? For my period, there's always a kind of undercurrent. You know, there's always the possibility of disillusionment because, you know, this in many ways for evangelical missionaries, they're engaged in a dual mission where they need to convert Americans and convert people abroad. And if they can't convert Americans, then their global mission will be endangered. So, you know, that the, the possibility of disillusionment is always hovering, I think. I would also say for missionaries, this is the moment of greatest growth for evangelical missions abroad. And so in terms of missionary work, it seems to me, you know, there's a real, there's a kind of sustained energy if you look over the course of the 20th century and up till today. You know, now evangelical missionaries make up, I believe, the vast majority of American uh, missionaries abroad. Sarah, how did you get interested uh, in in the FEGC and in this larger issue of the work of missionaries? It does fit into my larger interest in the post-World War II period and exploring how Americans are imagining the role of the U.S. in the world, how ordinary Americans, non-state actors, are imagining the role of the U.S. in the world. And uh, I was I wrote this for a, a seminar paper. And I had taken a class with Catherine Breckus at the University of Chicago on American evangelicalism. And I'd written a historiographical review on the literature on evangelical global engagement after World War II. And there wasn't, there wasn't very much. And it seemed what I could find was that it really was missionaries. You know, they are the kind of global agents of American evangelicalism at this moment. Sort of, you know, they're the people you want to study uh, and so for my next, for my seminar paper the following year, I decided that, that they were the, they were the people I wanted to look at. And the Billy Graham Center archives, which are, uh, you know, about an hour's drive from Chicago and Wheaton, Illinois, a kind of vast collection of American evangelical history. So I, be, I went there and I said, you know, I'm interested in I'm interested in evangelical missionaries after World War II, and the archivist pointed me to this collection. That's that's really how that's really how it happened. It really kind of emerged um, out of the documents themselves. We've been talking today with Sarah Miller Davenport, a doctoral candidate in the Department of History at the University of Chicago, whose article "Their Blood Shall Not Be Shed in Vain." American Evangelical Missionaries and the Search for God and Country in Post-World War II Asia will appear in the March 2013 issue of the JH. Sarah, thank you so much for taking the time to do this today. Thank you. This podcast is produced by the Journal of American History, the leading scholarly publication and the Journal of Record in American History. Visit us on the web at www.journalofamericanhistory.org. Please support the journal by becoming a member of the Organization of American Historians. Subscribe online at www.oah.org and you will receive a printed copy of the journal four times a year.
Thank you for listening to the Journal of American History podcast. Please join us in June 2013 for our next episode. If you have any questions or comments, please email us at jahcast at oah.org. Thank you.